Welcome to Stuff You Should Know from HowStuffWorks.com. Hey, and welcome to the podcast. I'm Josh Clark. With me, as always, is Charles W. Chuck Bryant. That makes this stuff you should know. The podcast. Scottish? No. Okay. It was, uh, that was nothing. Just weirdness. Josh-ish. Mm-hmm. Chuck, I love November. You mean Movember. You know I do. <laughs> All right, Josh. As you know, because of my semi-virginal fresh face here, I have decided to get on the Movember train. For people that don't know, that is uh, for men and I guess women, if you can grow a mustache, more power to you, uh, to raise uh, money and awareness for prostate cancer. Yeah. So and I've been asked to do this a bunch, and I've never done it. Well, I'm glad you're finally doing it. Tell us all about it, man. Well, uh, you know, I signed up. I've got my little Movember page, mm-hmm. and then you go to that little page, and you can donate money in, uh, for my team of one. Right. And unless you count the mustache as a thing, and then that's two of us. Okay. <laughs> so hopefully soon that'll be happening. And uh, it would be cool, you know? I'm going to grow it back in anyway, so you might as well raise a little money along the way. Oh, you shouldn't tell people you're going to grow it anyway, or they'll contribute more money. No, no, no. I, I'm growing the goatee, but I will uh, only grow the mustache gotcha. for November. So uh, wh- how do people contribute to this effort? Uh, Josh, go to mobro.co slash Charles Bryant, and that is my page. Or just go to the Movember website. They've got a little handy search bar there. Type in Charles Bryant. There's one other Charles Bryant, but he is not the one with a picture of me. Oh, that's good. So when it lists the two dudes, and one of them has, clearly has a photo of my freshly shaven face. Not super freshly shaven, like that morning. Right, via webcam. You look like a hostage of some sort. <laughs> I do. So uh, go to mobro.co slash Charles Bryant. Donate, help support prostate cancer research, and I'll be updating with photos. And if you guys want to chime in on what kind of stash I should grow, I'll try my best. Okay. I'm kind of limited to, like, standard Crumb catcher and pencil thin. What about walrus? I can't. It just doesn't get that big. I can't do the Raleigh fingers, you yeah. know. So well, I have my limits. Have you tried wax, mustache wax? <laughs> Maybe I will. Okay. It's long enough. So go to mobro.co slash Charles Bryant. That's right. And uh, you can donate to this. Yeah. Much appreciated. Movember. On with the show. Uh, you got a good setup for today? I do. I'd love to hear it. Let's get to it. <laughs> uh have you ever, sorry, Chuck? Yes. Have you ever heard of a Luddite? I've been called a Luddite. Okay. Somebody <laughs> who's not afraid true. of technology? Yeah, I'm not afraid. You're very technologically savvy. You yeah. know stuff. You're not afraid of it. Nope. Um, but whoever's calling you that is actually, they're kind of incorrect. That's a misconception. Luddites were not ever afraid of technology. I wish I would have known that at the time. Yeah, because you could have been like, you're yeah. just wrong and stupid in every single way. Actually, it was our buddy uh, Scott Ippolito, so I'll just throw it back in his face. I'll tell him, too. <laughs> I'll, just, I'll stand next to him and be like, yeah. Yeah. Um, no, Luddite is, is uh, originally, w- they were a group of um, protesters, labor protesters, from that protested between 1811 and 1816. And they wanted um, fair wages. They wanted better treatment in their in their workplaces. And no iPhones. And they uh, they were known to break machines, like manufacturing machines. On purpose? Yeah. Very, oh, yeah. They had sledgehammers that were ironically made by, in, in one case, I think in Manchester, um, they were made by the same blacksmith who'd made these knitting machines that they used the sledgehammers to break. Huh. 
uh, his name was Enoch, and they say that Enoch would make these things and Enoch would break these things. Really? Anyway, they were known for smashing <clears throat> machines, which at the time was like high technology. Yeah. 1811, like a knitting machine, like that's mind-bogglingly technological. Sure. And so they got this reputation for being afraid of this technology. They were afraid it was going to take their jobs. That's not true. I mean, they were to an extent. Yeah. But what they were directing their anger and their ire when they were smashing these machines was not the machine or the technology or the people who invented them or what the machines represented, but these mill owners who were misusing these machines, who were using these machines to force people out of jobs, who were using unskilled people who had no idea what they were doing and getting hurt and killed using these machines. So what the Luddites really wanted was fair labor practices, and they wanted to control these machines. Yes. That's the key to Ludditism, is machines are great as long as we're in control of them and we're smart about what we're doing. Yeah. And they don't come to replace us or run our lives. So today, a Luddite would probably be, they would probably react fairly close to the modern conception of the term Luddite because it's gotten so far out of hand. Right. That we're actually now talking today about something called the singularity which is the point where the machines really do take over. Not in the very ubiquitous way that they already have today, like they're everywhere. Not that you didn't know that already, but I mean, they they control things that we don't fully understand, like the cyber war. We were talking about um, how like the infrastructures run on windows and like valves and pipes and water treatment systems. Everything is operated by computer, right? So what happens if... The, a computer suddenly becomes aware, and it's in control of these things, and decides that it doesn't really like the humans. It sounds extremely science fictiony. Yeah, there was no way to carry out this podcast without that sentence being spoken. Sure, <laughs> but um, it, it's the people who are talking about this, who are predicting this, are very smart, credible people. Oh uh, yeah, true. And what we're talking about then is the singularity. That's right. The, the te- point where machines the technological Yeah. Yes. Specifically. Yeah. Because what other singularities are there? Well, I think you know we mentioned there was a singularity, which is something entirely different, and I think it's probably just to distinguish stuff like that. Okay. I don't know if there are other types of singularities, so. So it's a singularity versus the singularity. Yes. So maybe the singularity is the point of no return. I guess so. Okay. Um, so what's your question? What did you ask me? Is this bad or good? No. <laughs> what, what uh, I, I do have a question for you. Um, do you think it'll happen? No. I don't I don't think, and this might be my narrow uh, field of view at this point in my life, but I think that mankind will make sure that doesn't happen. Oh, man. I've got a counter-argument for you from Werner Vinch himself. Oh, no. I've seen the counter-arguments. Okay. But that still doesn't change my <laughs> mind. So you don't think that in the quest to be the top dog, to consolidate power, to consolidate world domination, yeah. some government out there will be like, well, yes, we agree with you at the UN that, yes, we have to prevent this from happening. Yeah. But our scientists back at home are actually working on this one thing that's probably going to make it happen, and we're going to be in charge. Yeah, I think that they would create fail-safes. Um, and I think even if they didn't, it wouldn't be so widespread that it would take over humanity. Counter-argument, too, to that. Okay. If we create fail-safes yes. using our brains, yes. and the singularity is, by definition, the basically the birth, the emergence of an artificial intelligence, yes. 
that's smarter than us, yeah. a superhuman artificial intelligence. Yeah. That's basically what the singularity represents the creation of. Mm-hmm. Wouldn't that intelligence be able to be like, oh, that's very funny that you came up with these fail-safes. They're so tough for me to get around. I think what my problem is with stuff like this is the assumption that if computers were made smarter than people, that they would try and destroy us all and reign supreme. That's my problem with this all, is it's a very large leap to go from, hey, this computer can fix itself and maybe learn, Mm -hmm. uh, to, okay, now it decides it hates us all and wants to kill us all. Okay, so I I had an idea about this. I watched a video. Did you see the Ray Kurzweil video that I sent you, Futurist Ray Kurzweil? He's talking about, they kept... The interviewer kept asking him, like, what scares you about the singularity? What's the downside of the singularity? And he wouldn't fall for it. He's like, I'm an optimist, but, you know, um, I, I understand that there are going to be downsides or whatever. But if you look at the 20th century, yeah. our um, our advances in technology mm-hmm. had – it was a double-edged sword. Like, we used that technology to kill millions and millions of people in the 20th century wars. But – we also use that technology to um, advance the lifespan by like twice, yeah, as it, uh, twice as long as it was before. So it's a double-edged sword, and I think that's kind of a glib argument because I feel like he's leaving out a really important fact, and that is that in the 20th century, all of that technology, every single iota of it, good and bad, was deployed by humans. After the singularity happens, we have another non-human actor yes. with motivations that we can't even conceive of at this point, right? Uh, uh, Deploying technology. Program motivation. See, that's the argument. But no, is. that's that's the thing. Right now, our stuff is constrained by its programs. After it hits AI, true mm-hmm. AI, I think AI++ is what it's called, yeah. it's no longer constrained by its programming. It's out of our control, literally. And that's the point that I don't think we will reach. Okay, well then, yeah, I agree with you. But if we do reach that point, then I do fear that we have computers that are thinking the same way that eugenicists think, except they don't have that empathy or compassion thing that stays the eugenicists' hand. Or they do. They're trying to build empathy, so. I don't know. Okay, we we (laughs) totally jumped to the end of this, didn't we? Like, what are we even talking about, Chuck? So you believe that they're going to destroy humanity at one point? I believe we need Ned Ludd, the fictitious leader of the Luddites more than ever right now, because <laughs> I think that there's a lot of very smart people moving in a very um, fast pace in a direction that I don't think everybody is aware we're going, and there hasn't been a general discussion on whether that's the best thing to do yeah. or how to do it. What are the fail-safes? Is anyone even talking about that? Like, what are they? How do we get them in place? Because right. I think there should be an impedance to creating unfettered artificial intelligence. Yeah. Well, here we go then. Okay. Boy, that was a rant. You, like, started yelling at me. Oh, no, I'm not <laughs> upset with you at all. I hope it didn't come off like that. That's right. I like you, Chucky. Um, so Werner Vinge is one of the uh, guys that thinks it is going to happen. Uh, he's a professor of math at the uh, San Diego State University. Yeah. Go Aztecs. And um, he thinks he wrote a, a, an essay called uh, The Coming Technological Singularity, How to Survive in the Post-Human Era. Um, and he thinks there are four ways which this could happen. And, be, and he also points out that he thinks it will happen before 2030. Yeah. Which I don't think that'll happen. And that's coming up. Yeah. It's, it's like right around the corner. I think Kurzweil says the same thing. He said 2029 is the one he's been citing. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Well, we'll see. Um, 
Number one, scientists could develop uh, advancements in AI. It's pretty easy to understand. Right. Uh, number two, computer networks might become self-aware somehow. Like, I love how that's pretty vague. <laughs> well, he was saying in the paper, that's Strickland's interpretation. He's saying in yeah. his paper, like, um, it'll probably be a total surprise to the people who are working on this algorithm to make a, a, a search engine better right. or something. And they just tweak it just slightly in such a way that all of a sudden the computer system wakes up. Right. And you've just created sentience accidentally in a, in a computer network. And now it's self-aware. Right. And he was saying that's that's how that could happen, accidentally, basically. Okay. Um, so number three is uh, transhumanism, basically. Yeah. Computer-human interface uh, becomes so advanced that there's sort of – it blurs the line between humans and robots. Right, which is probably the best-case scenario for us if the technological singularity is going to happen because we'll be on board. Yeah, well, unless the brain part is in the robot. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. And they're just operating the body, the human form. But if we're indistinguishable from a robot and a human, like if we merge yeah. so so much, then like Robin what, Williams. what benefits one? Yeah. <laughs> but what is it? Centennial Man? Bicentennial Man, I think. Uh, or Pistorius. Remember when we did our DGA speech a couple of years ago? He was big news. Oh, yeah. And in the Olympics, he was big news because- yeah. Did you see him run? Yeah. Man, I had not seen him run before, and it is something to see. It's yeah. really cool. It's pretty awesome. Yeah. I love the people that were like, you know, it gives him an advantage because blah, blah, blah. And, and then South Africa came in dead last in the Well, relay. no. I mean, I don't think anyone expected him to win. But I just love the snarky counter argument was then cut off your legs below the knees <laughs> if it's such an advantage. Yeah. <laughs> you want to win? Go cut off your legs. Yeah. I forgot we had mentioned him in the transhumanism <clears throat> thing. Yeah. And that's before he was like really big news yeah. as far as the Olympics goes. Uh, and then number four, biological science uh, advancements allow – us to uh, engineer human intelligence, to physically engineer it. Right. And the first three involve computers. Like we have to, this the singularity would be reached by basically advancements in computing. The last one is yeah. like strictly like coming up with this super vitamin that just makes our intelligence superhuman. That but would be awesome. The point is, is that at through one of these four proposed ways, yeah. At some point, Werner Vinz says 2030, Ray Kurzweil says 2029, uh, Hans Moravec says 2050 maybe? Um, well, he says um, that computers will be capable of processing power equal to the human brain. Okay. But not necessarily AI. Which is an essential part of this. Like we have to sure. understand how to create the, the human brain uh, under certain circumstances. Yeah. Um, for this to reach. But at some point, all of these things are saying we're, we're going to have on this planet something that doesn't exist right now. Yeah. And that is a superhuman intelligence, whether That's it's right. an artificial intelligence, as in the first three, right. or superhuman human intelligence, uh, that, that remains to be seen. But the point is, is once that happens, all of a sudden, there's basically what amounts to a new species that just boop, popped up on the map. And it's going to take off like a rocket. Robo-humans. Yeah. And it takes off like a rocket because it's got a rocket built into its back. <laughs> <laughs> um, all of this is based sort of on Moore's Law, which is, um, I guess we can go ahead and talk about Moore. Uh, yeah. Gordon Moore. It's in, a great name. Gordon Moore? It's a great like electronics engineer name. Yeah, I guess you're right. Uh, in the mid-60s, uh, he was a semiconductor engineer, and he proposed what um, we call Moore's Law now. And that's basically what he was noticing at the time was 
or I guess we should just say Moore's Law is that the idea that technology doubles at uh, every 18 months. Yeah. That's what they settled on? It, it basically, I mean, 12 to 24 months, but I think he originally yeah. said like 18 months. So, yeah, they split the difference and said 18 months. Yeah, I think Moravec has said it like it was 24 and then 18, and he feels like it's more like 12 now. Right. But it's progressing like exponentially, I guess is the point. Yeah. So, anyway, back in the 60s, he noticed that um, he was building semiconductors, and he said, you know what, the components and the prices are falling. Uh, but then he noticed instead of just selling stuff for half the price, mm-hmm. why don't we just roll that back into making smaller transistors? And selling them at the same high price. Yeah. But just getting more bang for your buck. Yeah. Can you imagine if that had never <laughs> right. happened? Right. Like, what if that? What if the cycle became, no, let's just, you know, sell it Make cheaper. It cheaper. I don't know. I mean, like, how, what kind of differences would that have? We'd have super cheap, slow technology, and yeah. maybe everybody just kind of be on the pot or something like that, you know? Real laid yeah, back, sure. like. But more, like, I think part of being a computer scientist, someone else would have come along been like, guys, why don't we try and advance You're things? doing this wrong. Yeah. Um, Strickland points out, too, that um, Moore's Law is a self-fulfilling <clears throat> prophecy because of that, because that mentality that you just you just mentioned was present. Like, rather than just sell it at half price, let's put twice as much into it. Yeah. Right? And so since that's the drive of the um, the transistor, is it the transistor industry that he was in? Uh, yeah, semiconductors the, and the, transistors. The microprocessor yeah. industry. Um, that It's a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's a self-fulfilling law because that drive is there to to basically meet that deadline. Yeah. They keep trying to pack more and more in so that they can satisfy Moore's law. Uh, true. And it, um, depending on who you ask, like this article is already out of date. Mm-hmm. Um, in February of this year, of 2012, mm-hmm. is that where we are? Um, a team of Austrian physicists created a functioning single atom transistor. Really? Single atom. <laughs> Fully controllable. That's 0.1 nanometers. Right. And a human hair is 180,000 nanometers. Yeah. And in this article even... Wide, I, I think. I think Strickland was talking about uh, Intel has transistors 45 nanometers wide. Yeah. Like, they're trying to get better. This one was one atom wide. And it's not, like, on the market or anything close like that. <laughs> but it is fully functioning and fully controllable. Um, and that is faster than Moore's Law. That was supposed to hit us in 2020. And you can't get any smaller, like... That's as small as it gets, and we've already reached it. Right, and the the problem is, is like, they're what they're running up against is the things like quantum tunneling on the quantum world. Yeah. Um, the when you have an electron and it, you, you're using like very thin material to direct uh-huh. it, right, in a transistor. Yeah. Or a capacitor. It does a little magic act. That's what's important. The transistor. Well, yeah. It just suddenly is on one side of this wall yeah. that you're using to guide it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then it's just on the other. It basically makes it outside of your transistor. You're like, wait, come back. Yeah, but it didn't like bore a hole through it. No, it just went through it like it wasn't there. Like, um, look at me now. Exactly. Poof. Uh, and that's called quantum tunneling. Yeah. Which is kind of a problem when you get on this nanoscale because the classical um, mechanics kind of goes out the window and you run into quantum mechanics that has weird stuff like that going on. Yeah. But ironically, that whole size problem that you're running into that that um, runs into quantum problems, yeah. it may actually um, be saved by the quantum world through quantum computing. Moore's Law, I guess, that right. technological progress. Because we're running into that size problem, but with uh, quantum computing, um, 
you, you basically it uses quantum states like how you can have superpositions of a bunch of different states at once yeah. to carry out parallel processes. So where a traditional computer is carrying out one process, a quantum computer could carry out a million processes. Right. Which makes that computer exponentially faster than anything uh, available today, which could be what shoots us into this artificial intelligence if quantum computers yeah. become viable right. and widespread. Well, that's where they're headed. Um, the, the, uh, the one atom... Uh, transistor. Mm-hmm. Part of the problem with that one is it's got to be, um, it's only operable at negative 391 degrees Fahrenheit, <laughs> which is like uh, liquid nitrogen gold. Gotcha. But um, they're working well, on it. Weird. That's where that quantum levitation comes from. It's like really, really cold. Oh, really? Yeah. That's the only time it works, but it works. Interesting. Yeah. Matt, Matt told me about that one. Um, so, Josh, let's say you have, you're shooting for true AI, you built yourself a robot. Your robot's great. Cleans up, seems to solve problems. It's like Richie Rich's butler. Might, <laughs> might even be uh, learning. Who knows? Um, and you want to test it out to see where you're at. <laughs> I know what you're getting at. What would you do? I would give that thing a Turing test. A what? A Turing test. <laughs> T-O-U-R-I-N-G? No, T-U-R-I-N-G, named after the um, father of computing, the chemically castrated... Homosexual? Excuse me? Yes. Did you know this? Our, Alan Turing is a British uh, early proponent of robot science. Right. And he was a chemist. What? Chemically castrated for being a homosexual. Let's hear it. Okay, so um, during World War II, mm-hmm. he was this uh, like ace code breaker for the British government. Yeah. And he actually cracked the Nazi code. Um, and uh, after the war... Uh, they were like, hey, thanks a lot for that old chap. Thanks for helping us win the war. By the way, um, as you know, homosexuality is outlawed here and will be until, oh, I don't know, 1950s. Um, and uh, so we're going to convict you of homosexual acts and chemically castrate you as thanks. Wow. Yeah. <clears throat> that all happened? Yes. But, okay, so despite this, um, he still comes up with this thing called a Turing test. Yeah. Named after him. Um, and it involves a blind judge. Mm-hmm. Not an actually blind judge, but like a judge who doesn't know who they're talking to, who's sure. who. And the, the judge is asking the same questions of a person and a computer. It's like Blade Runner. I guess. Remember at the beginning of Blade Runner, he's asking the questions uh, to uh, Leon. And it's not quite the Turing test because he can see Leon. Right. But he's basically trying to suss out if Leon is a uh, replicant. Right. And so he's asking him like questions that sort of, they all kind of touch on like empathy, it seems like. Mm. Like you see a turtle in the road. Do you, do you, uh, it's on its back. Do you flip it back over mm-hmm. or do you smash it or like, what do you do? What does Leon say? I don't remember. Huh. I think he asked him about his apartment and he gets annoyed and he kills the guy. Gotcha. Isn't that what happens, Matt? Been too long, Been too long Matt says. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think Leon kills him. Okay. But anyway, the Turing test, if you can't tell the difference between the robot and the person, then the robot passes the test. And supposedly that's a, a touchstone of reaching true AI. Yeah, if you can fool a human. Yeah. Um, as far as the singularity goes with AI, I guess that's AI. Then there's AI plus, and then there's AI plus plus, which would just be like a superhuman intelligence, artificial intelligence. Yeah. That's capable, that's self-aware. Mm-hmm. It's capable of um, uh, using intuition, mm-hmm. inferring things. Yeah. Like, like Hans Moravec was pointing out, like a third-generation robot could learn n- that if you knocked over that cup of water – Water will spill out, and you have a mess, yeah. and your owner 
gets mad and powers yeah. you down for half an hour. But it would learn that after spilling that water, and maybe more than once. Yeah. This fourth generation robot or something that, with true artificial intelligence that could infer could look at that cup, see that the top's open, realize that there's water inside, and without ever having to knock it down, could infer that if I spilled it, it would spill. Or if I knocked it over, it would spill the water out. Yeah, and that's Hans Moravec. Um, and he also says you could potentially tie um, signals to that, like words like good and bad. Yeah. So, And this is all a program, you understand. Humans are programmed to, to do this. This is So this is technically all pre-singularity then. Yeah, all this is pre-singularity. He's right. just, Moravec is talking about the one through four generations of robots that, as he sees it. Yeah. Um, but if you tie words like good and bad, the robot adapts and it's conditioning. It's like a rudimentary learning. Um, on the outside, it looks like if the owner says, like, don't do that, that's bad, the robot n- understands what that means. But what it really knows is um, it reads body language and maybe human raises his voice mm-hmm. and that means anger and like you said, anger means I get shut down or something. Right. And that's not what I want because I want to destroy you eventually. Exactly. <laughs> I will remember this. Um, and since we're on Moravec, I guess we should talk about some of his other uh, thoughts on robots. Um, he thinks they're good. <laughs> he does think they're good. Uh, he thinks the second generation, first of all, he thinks right now that they are smarter than insects, computers are. Is that right? You think soon enough they will be as smart as like a lizard, then after that they might be as smart as like a monkey, and then the fourth step would be humans. Smart as or smarter than? Smart, better than in some cases Hmm. with certain applications. Better at math for sure. Well, they're already better at math. Oh, my God. Calculators. (laughs) Better at chess, deep blue. Oh, God. You know, so stuff like that's happening on some levels. Uh, He thinks the third generation, I'm sorry, the second generation will be like the first, but uh, more f- reliable, so they work out the kinks. Mm-hmm. Um, the third generation, he thinks, is where it really takes a leap, and that's what you're you're talking about. Instead of making mistakes over and over to learn, it works out in its head right. and then performs the task. Yes. So that's... Inferring. Inferring. Um, and that's fourth generation. That's third generation. Oh, is it? Yeah. Oh, okay. Wow, we're, we're further along than I thought. <laughs> that's right. Uh, and he thinks also in the third generation that uh, they could model the world like a world simulator. Mm-hmm. So essentially it looks around and is able to take in enough information to suss out a scenario. And if that sounds familiar, that's because that's what you do every day. Yeah, exactly. Um, and he thinks the biggest two hurdles uh, will be, well, the third generation is also where you're going to get your psychological modeling. So trying to simulate empathy and things like that. Right. Interact with humans. Um and then the fourth one, he says, marries the third generation's ability to simulate the world with a reasoning program, like a really powerful reasoning program. Yeah. Um, but he thinks the two biggest hurdles in the end, as far as becoming more than human or as good as human, um, are the things that we're best at, which is interacting with the physical world, like on a moment by moment basis. Mm-hmm. You have to be able to adapt, like at a, you know, in a split second. Humans can do that. Sure. We learned to over time. Right. So we didn't get, you know, tuk-tuk didn't uh, get eaten by the dinosaur. Right. Um, and the other one is social interaction or empathy. Are you a creationist now? Tuk-tuk and the dinosaur coexisted? Oh, did they not? No. Sure they did in my world. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, the, and the second one is social interaction. So those are the two things 
that he says will be the most difficult to achieve. Yeah, I would imagine. And that's empathy. So say we have these things walking around. We have robots like that. Um, and then they are all connected to a network, a wireless network. Yeah. That, and they're all running off the same like general programs. Um, and somehow one of them becomes self-aware, wakes up, as Werner Vinge puts it in his um, Singularity article. Yeah. And that that algorithm spreads throughout the network all of a sudden. So all of a sudden, all of your robots are awake. Yeah. Um, that's a pretty terrifying idea because now all of a sudden these robots that were under our control are now under their own control. They've broken loose of their programming. Yeah. Um, that would be, again, I think a very scary scenario. But it's also possible that like this could happen pre-robots. Maybe we won't have robots by this time, and it will just be like networks, like a sentient network. That's scarier to me. How so? Well, because you can look at a robot and get scared of it and take a baseball bat to it, but a network is just feels like yeah. in the ether, like you wouldn't know it's coming or something. Exactly, yeah. It's embedded. Yeah. Uh, especially with, you know, the cloud out there now. Yeah. Um, so say this kind of thing, like, scared you. <clears throat> what, what are some fail-safes, like you said? Or what are some um, obstacles that you could put up to prevent this from happening? Um, well, if you wanted to follow Isaac Asimov, you would build in the three laws of robotics. Yeah. Um, I think we've gone over this before even. It feels like it. The three laws of robotics? And one of them. Sure. Um, robot may not injure a human or through inaction allow them to come to harm. That would be a nice thing to build in there. Yeah. Uh, robots must obey orders by humans except where it contradicts number one. Right. That's a great fail-safe. Yeah. Like, don't do anything unless I tell you to. Mm-hmm. But you still got to worry about the supervillain, of course. Um, and then three, ro- oh, it's kind of serious. <laughs> um, robots must protect its own existence, which sounds scary, but it cannot conflict with one or two. Right. I think um, we didn't, didn't we talk about that in the, our TV show? Isn't that come up? Yeah. Okay. Does it sound familiar? Yes. <laughs> so I would build in, those are three pretty good fail-safes. If you follow Asimov's laws, then... Um, you probably wouldn't have a robot getting out of hand unless someone, like I said, like some bad person built one to intentionally get out of hand. But even, and I think Vinge makes a pretty good point, even beyond like uh, a bad person, like some like a supervillain getting his hands on something and, and intentionally making a robot bad, especially like a sentient robot bad, yeah. um, we may reach this point through normal, everyday competition. That is true. Where, like, maybe countries all agree to not do this. Yeah. But there's one or two that are, are still working on it. Yeah. And um, they're not working toward the singularity, but they're working toward com- computing domination. You yeah. You know, yeah. they want to have the best machines to carry out the processes the fastest and stay um, viable as, like, a world leader, that kind of thing. And then AI just kind of happens accidentally, like we said. Maybe so, man. I could see something like that. And it, it also, um, I do, I will say this, that if it, if stuff like this happens, I think it will be an accident and I think it will be after years of selling us this stuff as a convenience. Uh, yeah. Like yes. that, that's how they get you in there. They don't say, Hey, we're, we're creating a robot that will maybe kill you. We say we're, we're implanting an RFID chip in your arm that makes it much easier for you to shop. Sure. Or, um, we have figured out how to, uh, what is it, opti- optogenetics? I 
think I can't remember what it's called. Where like you take like a jellyfish's light sensitive genes, yeah, splice them into another animal's genes so that the cells are light sensitive, photosensitive, and then you can use little, um, basically little light generators directed at specific cells or neurons or whatever to get them to fire precisely to work precisely perfectly every time. Wow! So all of a sudden you don't have Parkinson's anymore because all of your nerves are functioning a hundred percent. And once we have that in there, mm-hmm. who's controlling that? What network is that connected to? Because f- through that through that step, we've we've become transhuman. That human computer interface has become a little more meshed. So you know, living a long time is really great, and we've already expanded human life like by what double at least. Right. So why not? Days. Why not do it again and again and again? Yeah. So you got to be like, let's say you got to be twenty percent non-human to get there that's not too bad right right you get to be a thousand years old but the 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 point is is like we're already on this path oh yeah technology makes our lives that much easier so we're on this path where we're basically just messing around with computing to make it better faster more human-like right Mm -hmm. and all we have to do is get to the point where a machine that is capable of reproducing itself yeah becomes sentient and decides that it wants to reproduce itself and then that machine creates a better machine, and so on and so on and so on. Yeah. And when that happens, evolution will become technological. It will be replicated technologically. Yeah. And it will happen in this incredibly compressed time. Yeah. Possibly of hours or days. So it or gets weeks. out of hand before we can do anything about it. It happens like that. Dean Kamen, remember that guy? Yes. He's got artificial limbs that attach to your neural wiring. Yeah. So you think pick up cup with hand and your mechanical hand does it. Right. Like that's pretty – can you imagine that? Right. It's going and, on and right now. Good. It comes back to that Kurzweil argument like, yeah, technology is always double-edged. Yeah. You know, like there's there's good and there's bad to it. And he may be absolutely right. But, again, I feel like we are going in a direction that a lot of people don't realize we're going in. And there hasn't been any discussion about it. I think there's discussion about it, though. That's I, where I disagree. In the larger world? I bet you there are conferences and things like this that we don't know about. There are, but I wonder how many of them are. Um, I mean, don't you think if you went to a, a Singularity conference or an AI conference and said, well, hey, 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 maybe we shouldn't <laughs> be you know, exploring these, some of these roads, like, well, you'd be, you'd lose your funding, I would imagine. Yeah, you'd I don't. Be ostracized. I don't necessarily think they're going to the like, the conferences where they love this stuff, right? But I think there are people out there talking about it, just like they talk about maybe we shouldn't mess with stem cells so much. Sure, but they are not integrated with the people who are actually carrying out this work. It's you not coming sure? from within the community, and if it is, yeah. I, I no, I don't know for sure. Okay, but I'm not reassured that it is happening, and and that's where I think my fears are based. Gotcha. I'm not against technology. Oh, yeah. I think technology does improve our lives, but I also, I mean. There is such thing as Pandora's box, even if it is metaphorical. Agreed. Uh, I think maybe we should close with Nico. Okay. Just two weeks ago, Nico the robot oh, yeah. um, was able to recognize itself in a mirror. And I want to say it was England. And that is a really big deal <laughs> because that is a hallmark of animal intelligence. Self-awareness. Self-awareness. A dog walking by a mirror and looking at it and recognizing itself. Yeah. Uh, Nico apparently did that. That's pretty crazy. Yeah. Well, welcome to humanity, Nico. <laughs> we will be licking your boots in no time. Your metallic, foul-tasting 
robotic boots. Yeah. Uh, if you want to learn more about the singularity, type in what is the technological singularity in the search bar at HowStuffWorks.com. It'll bring up a John Strickland article, John Strickland from Tech Stuff. That's right. I'm quite sure they've covered this several times, but we wanted to take our hand at it. Um, so you can check that out, too, the Tech Stuff uh, article or uh, podcast. Agreed. Man, I'm all over the place. Uh, let's see. I said uh, Tech Stuff, which means it's time for a listener mail. Actually, before we do this real quick, I want to point out we had it. Remember Jack Mead? We had an email about poor Jack Mead has caught up to the podcast yeah. and is feels like he's wandering adrift in the world. Sure. We should plug the Stuff You Should Know Army. We often call all the fans the Stuff You Should Know Army. But there is a subgroup on Facebook mm-hmm. that you can look up, SYSK Army. And um, they are the twisted Uber fans who like to discuss things. Right. Um, about the show. It's crazy. It's a nice little community, and they're all great people and uh, very supportive, like good folk. Yeah. So, Jack, go check them out if you're smart. Um, I'm going to call this a rebuke from, for the Star Wars podcast. Oh, man. Remember we had uh, someone from New Jersey write in and say nukes won't work in space because X, Y, and Z. Mm-hmm. This guy, I think, says that it could happen. Um, one of you asked, I wonder what happened if a nuke went off in space. Uh, one nuke in space has potential to wipe out the entire coastal United States, is what this guy says. There are a couple of sources I found on the Internet. Uh, I only knew about it because of a book series I read called The Great and Terrible Series by Chris Stewart. It's an apocalyptic book giving an idea of what the last days on Earth could be like. Uh, In one of the later books, America suffers from a catastrophic terrorist attack in which four nukes were detonated above the U.S. This caused all electronic equipment to fall uh, to short out and become useless. Panic ensued. Cars wouldn't work. Cell phones became bricks. Mm-hmm. And the entire power grid was rendered useless. I remember reading the author's notes stating that uh, there was a military report given to Congress about this kind of scenario. And I found something similar. He sent us the link. It yeah, wasn't like Newt Gingrich really scared about this, like early in the primary campaign. I don't know. I think he was. Was he? Yeah. Dude. <laughs> um, one interesting note and the report refers to how the discovery of the EMP blast that accompanies nukes led to the Atmospheric Test Ban Treaty. Uh, and that is Tyson Bringhurst nice. in Alaska. Tyson did some research. That's pretty cool. That <coughs> sounds did. like an SYSK fan. Yeah. It wasn't just like, uh, can you guys Google this for me? Yeah. Thank you, Tyson. Yeah, thanks, Tyson. Um, if you want to show off your research and skills... You uh, did some follow-up on a question that you had or something we mentioned or whatever. We want to hear about it. We like that kind of stuff. It's pretty cool. You can uh, show off your work uh, in 140 characters or less <laughs> on uh, Twitter at SYSK Podcast. You can join us on Facebook.com slash Stuff You Should Know. Or you can send us very lengthy emails to StuffPodcast at Discovery.com. <laughs> For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit HowStuffWorks.com. 